0: good
1: morning it is october 9th 2023 it is monday i am tanya and this is the witch daily show today's episode is brought to you by little witches books so let's get your day going with a little magic our quote of the day is my darling girl When are you going to realize that being normal is not necessarily a virtue? It rather denotes a lack of courage. By Aunt Frances, Practical Magic. So today we are talking about the new hot chocolate mix from Sip a Spell. It is called Dark Society. Okay, so I created this mix. I wanted something that felt like those articles we've read when they talk about how ancient rulers would drink spiced cocoa mixes in the morning. And I wanted that kind of deep spiritual experience. So I created this hot cocoa mix. It is made from cacao nibs. So it still has kind of that luxurious uh, velvety feel to it. And then it is packed with spices, ginger, cayenne, cinnamon. And I really wanted it to feel like you are drinking something magical and historical and something that's going to fuel your soul. And so, yes, I created Dark Society. So, it is over on com. Check it out. But today we're talking about the medicinal benefits of chocolate. So, this comes to us from HopkinsMedicine.org, so the John Hopkins organization. Having a healthy relationship with all foods is important for your mind and your body. But beginning or creating a balanced relationship with dark chocolate in particular may have a significantly positive impact on your overall health. Dark chocolate contains powerful antioxidants. Among the most beneficial is the flavonoid. Flavonoids are compounds found in plants that fight inflammation and protect against cell damage caused by free radicals. So here are just a few ways dark chocolate can uh, benefit you. According to research, one, heart health. Um, I know that's something I care about very deeply. Uh, I, um, I come from a, a long line of heart issues, so I just care a lot about heart health. So that's really important to me. The antioxidants in dark chocolate have been shown to lower blood pressure, reduce the risk of clotting, and increase blood circulation to the heart. Thus, lowering the risks of stroke, coronary heart disease, and death from heart disease. Two, balances the immune system. Flavonoids prevent the immune system from going into overdrive to reduce oxidative stress, which is an imbalance caused by cells fighting against free radicals and a common cause of many diseases. Three, it can combat diabetes. Uh, The specific type of flavonoid found in dark chocolate protects uh, the cells, making them stronger and supporting the process that helps the body use insulin better. It can improve brain function. Flavonoids in dark chocolate have a positive impact on brain function, including better reaction time, visual-spatial awareness, and a stronger memory. Next, it can boost uh, athletic performance. The, uh, that one specific flavonoid in dark chocolate increases the production of nitric oxide in the blood, which supports circulation and reduces the amount of oxygen an athlete uses while engaged in moderately intense exercise. And finally, it reduces stress. People who eat dark chocolate have reported to feel less stress. And researchers confirmed that after eating dark chocolate, there were reduced levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which is something I struggle with. I definitely, um, well, I think, I have no proof of this, but I've always felt like I have, uh, I struggle with, like, excess cortisol. So, uh, yeah, that's great. And I love dark chocolate. If I... My perfect world would be me eating two different types of dark chocolate every day. So what type of dark chocolate you're asking? Well, um, if you're gonna go get like a chocolate bar, you want at least 70% cacao content. That is what's going to really give you the uh the biggest benefit. Uh researchers have not come up with hard and fast recommendations on how on the amount of dark chocolate to consume. Um, But again, if you can stick to at least 70% cacao, you're all set. All right, witches, moving on to some headlines. Now, this is one I think I got as a message from one of our listeners. Normally, I write it down, but I'm not sure if I did. But witchcraft accusations, an occupational hazard for female workers in early modern England. And this is from the University of Cambridge. So, while both men and women have historically been accused of malicious use of magic, only about 10-30% to of suspected witches were men by the 16th-17th century. The bias towards women is often attributed to misogyny as well as economic hard times, and now a Cambridge historian has added another contributing factor to the mix. Dr. Philippa Carter argues that the types of employment open to women at the time come with a much higher risk of facing allegations of witchcraft. In a study published by the Journal of Gender and History, Carter uses the casebooks of Richard Nyapier, an astrologer who treated clients in England using star charts and elixirs, to analyze links between witchcraft accusations and the occupations under those suspicions. Most of the jobs involved in healthcare or child care, food preparation, dairy production, or livestock care, all of which left women exposed to charges of magical sabotage when death, disease, or spoilage caused their clients suffering and financial loss. That makes a lot of sense. So basically, they're saying that um women were often in charge of the things that were keeping people alive, right? They were the ones handling the food, the children, the health care, and those are things that naturally have high risks, right? So if a child dies because of a disease or something they're, they're, you know, we're not even aware of yet for the next few hundred years, women are the ones going to be blamed for that. And so when witchcraft allegations started, it was really easy to kind of point at the women who were already in these kind of risky social positions. Here we have some quotes from the researcher. Quote, Nat- uh, natural processes of decay were viewed as corruption. Corrupt blood made wounds rankle, and corrupt milk made foul cheese. Women's work saw them become the first line of defense against corruption, and this put them at risk of being labeled as witches when their efforts failed. This was in contrast to men's work, which often involved labor with sturdy or rot resistant materials such as iron, fire, or stone. So, if at that time men's work was more like building and things like that, that is something that is n- not necessarily less risky, in my opinion. I just think, um, like when it fails, it's viewed less like a punishment from God. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's more viewed as man's mistake, not of supernatural concern also it it's less life or death right like women's work was often very life or death stuff so that could be why So, moreover, women often work several jobs, usually in the hearts of their communities, crisis crossing between homes, bakehouses, wells, marketplaces, rather than fields or workshops. The frequency of social contact in female occupations increased the chance of becoming embroiled in rifts or misunderstandings that often underpins suspicions of witchcraft. Many accusations stemmed from simply being present around the time of misfortune. Women uh, often combined multiple income streams, working in several households to make ends meet, watching children, preparing food, treating uh, invalids. They worked not just in one high-risk sector, but in many at once, and it stacked the odds against them. Uh, As part of a decade-long project at Cambridge University, over 80,000 of the case's notes uh, scribbled down by the doctors and astrologers were cataloged and digitized. Uh, So yeah, I think this is just really fascinating. It's just really fascinating, I think. Uh, They even recorded everyday attitudes to magic in the decades before the English Civil War. Most studies of English witchcraft are based on judicial records, often pre-trial interrogations, by which point execution was a real possibility. Mieppier's records are less engineered. He seems to have kept his notes only for his own reference. Which is very fascinating, but I think that's a really great theory as to why was it women who were often um, pointed the finger at, you know? Yeah, just very very interesting and we kind of still see this today right um people in healthcare, doctors nurses have a higher um risk of you know death by suicide and things like that because the job is so high stress high risk and if something goes wrong you're pointed at as like the problem so we still kind of see um kind of how these high-risk jobs really affect people today. Obviously, in a very different way, but I just think uh, it's very fascinating. All right, witches, I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent, and after this break, we will talk more.
2: Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Monday, October 9th. The waning crescent moon hogs the spotlight in Leo today. Here, the moon squares Uranus. This is a day where we can expect the unexpected. Uranus is retrograde, so it's likely that Uranus will throw some unanticipated roadblocks our way that will slow us all the way down. This can be a frustrating experience, especially if we were clipping along at a brisk pace. With Jupiter and Uranus conjunct currently, it's totally possible that these roadblocks will either lead us to a better path or allow us to notice things we might not have if we hadn't moderated our pace. But it's hard to think about that when you're in the moment. Frustration is a natural response to these setbacks. Don't allow these occurrences to completely throw you off track. Take a moment to reconsider the new landscape and see if it makes sense to continue or if you need to employ a new tack. Your daily moon mantra is, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago Astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Looking for a children's book about witchcraft? Check out The Little
1: Witches' Guide to the ABCs by Anna Fior. The Little Witches' Guide to the ABCs is a beautifully illustrated alphabet book that celebrates many of the different paths of magic from A to Z. The story follows two little witches as they search through the alphabet for their missing cat, Stardust, meeting many fun and unique characters along the way. Available on Etsy, Amazon, and at littlewitchesbooks.com. That's
0: little-witches-books.com.
1: Alright, we are back. So we are talking about one of my personal favorite legends because it was one me and my friends definitely participated in, in the early 90s. Bloody Mary. So let's dig into this one. So yeah, Bloody Mary, the myth of Bloody Mary. I'm so fascinated. Anyways, this comes to us from smithsonianmag.com. I did not look at this beforehand, so I do not know why we do the Bloody Mary game. And for those of you who don't know, Bloody Mary is essentially a game where you and your little friends, you go into the bathroom with the lights off. Sometimes there's a candle, sometimes there's not. And you say the words Bloody Mary three times in the mirror. I don't know what's supposed to happen. I was scared of the dark as a kid, so I did not ever get even to the first bloody mary before i started freaking out anyways uh smithsonian magazine writer million solely writes the first women woman to rule england and her own right didn't simply inherit the throne she seized it with unprecedented ambition from those who sought to thwart her Historian Sarah Griswood describes the ascension of Mary I as staggeringly bold, a course of action undertaken with little chance of success. Still, she rode into London on August 3, 1553, to widespread acclaim. In the words of contemporary chronicler, it was said that no one could remember there ever being a public rejoicing such as this. So century later, how, or centuries later, however, the Tudor Queen is remembered as one of the most reviled figures in English history, Bloody Mary. This is how a story of a heroic underdog became a monarch who was then myth, uh, mythologized as a violent despot, despite being no bloodier than her father. Oh, interesting. So it's about the, the Queen Mary... Um, who came after Henry VIII, who we all know was absolutely, like, the worst guy. <laughs> so now let's talk about the actual urban legend. Bloody Mary is a legend of a ghost, phantom, or spirit conjured to reveal the future. She is said to appear in a mirror when her name is chanted repeatedly. The Bloody Mary apparition may be benign or... Uh, malevolent depending on historic variations of the legend bloody mary appearances are mostly witnessed in a group participation play and this is from wikipedia Historically, the divination ritual encouraged young women to walk up a flight of stairs backwards holding a candle and a hand mirror in a darkened house. As they gazed into the mirror, they were supposed to be able to catch a view of their future husband's face. There was, however, a chance that they would see a skull or the face of the Grim Reaper instead, indicating that they were going to die before they had a chance to marry. In the ritual today, Bloody Mary allegedly appears to individuals or groups who ritualistically invoke her name in the act of um, catopatromancy. I've never seen this word. Catopatromancy. This is done repeatedly chanting her name into a mirror placed in a dimly lit or candlelit room. The name must be uttered 13 times. Some say other number of times. We were a three-time community. The Bloody Mary apparition apparently appears as a corpse, witch, or ghost that can be friendly or evil and is sometimes seen covered in blood, hence the name. The lore surrounding the ritual states that participants may endure apparitions screaming at them, cursing at them, strangling them, stealing their soul, or drinking their blood. We never had that one. I would have loved that. I, loved the, va- I, I I've, I've loved the vampire thing since I was a kid. I would have remembered that. Some variations call Bloody Mary by a different name. Hell Mary, Mary Worth. Other examples, such as the modern legend of Hanako Sen in Japan, strongly parallels the Bloody Mary mythology. So, okay. One, I didn't know we were supposed to get anything out of this. I literally thought it was just like a game of chicken. Like, it's literally like, I bet you just can't do it. I bet you're so scared. You know, I didn't know we were supposed to get rewards such as, like, faces of future spouses. Okay, so the phenomena uh, explanations. So staring into a mirror in a dimly lit room for a prolonged period can cause one to hallucinate. Facial features may appear to melt, distort, disappear, and rotate, while other hallucinatory elements, such as animal or strange faces, may appear. Giovanni Caputo, the uh, University of Orbino, writes that the phenomena which he calls the strange face illusion is believed to be a consequence of a dissociative identity effect, which causes the brain's facial recognition system to misfire in a currently unidentified way. Other possible explanations for the phenomena include illusions attributed at least partially to the perceptual effects of troxler's fading and possible um self like self-hypnosis. Uh, so there is some debate on the identification of Bloody Mary and if she's based on a real woman, a number of historical figures have been put forward as Mary including Mary I of England, which is what we started this episode with who had around 300 religious protestants dissenters burned at the stake. Ugh. And that earned her the name of Bloody Mary. The other one is Elizabeth Báthory, the um 17th century vampire. I'm going to go no because her name was Elizabeth and not Mary. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and just say no on that one. Do I have any standing to make that declaration? No, I'm going to say no. And then Another one is Mary Worth, who had been identified as either a woman who was killed. uh, Oh, the woman killed slaves escaping the American South. And so that's like also who they think it might be. Honestly, it's probably Elizabeth I. Or I'm sorry, Mary I of England. That's what I think. So, Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, for um growing up, I didn't think you were supposed to get anything fun out of it. I thought it was just a game of chicken. And that's actually why I think it has persisted. So I, I try to think of ways of why we would continue these stories. And I think for me that's why. I think people didn't I think we did a lot of things for divination back in the day, like bulls and um, I mean things we still do for divination, but something like this continues on because it's kids thinks it's fun and scary. And I think that's why it's continued. All right, witches. We are wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to listener Brandon. Brandon, you fancy hospitable dragon. (laughs) Uh, Portia Bishop, you starry-eyed luminous muskox. And Sarah H... You avant-garde smashing sunflower! Thank you three so much for being Patreon supporters. I really, really appreciate it. And that's all I've got for you today. We're not doing card pulls right now. We're doing a switch over. Um, but I just want to say uh, our hot cocoa mix is available at sipaspell.com. Uh When I first posted about it, we had a lot of interest, so I have to make the because ba- I make the batches by hand. Gotta make them very, very fast. So check that out. And that's all I've got for you. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources, anything we reference today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com.
0: And we will talk again tomorrow. Witches. We hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence.